Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Of all the things that are discounted in today's NBA, the ones that irritate me the most are the devaluing of the regular season and the importance of coaching, or more specifically, the importance of players allowing themselves to be coached. Let's start with the regular season, though. We're now in this mode of thinking that teams just need to have their stars healthy when the playoffs start to be able to compete for a championship. I'm not sure where that idea came from, and there is a certain truth in it. But like so many things, it has been taken completely too far, completely out of context. That's what I mean when I say I don't know exactly where that idea came from because it's been expanded so greatly. I'm going to blame the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich for starting it. Pop and the Spurs didn't mean to do it, so it's not so much their fault because it wasn't intentional as it is the fault of those who took what Pop and the Spurs did and then abused it. Pop started resting his star players and limiting their minutes after having several runs at championships. Well, first of all, having won several championships, but also having lost several championships when their runs were derailed by untimely injuries to Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili, specifically. And he only did it after those players proved that they knew what it took to win a championship. They had the code... They just needed to have their fingers and the rest of their bodies working in order to be able to turn the dial. Now, it is human nature to find the easier, softer way and or to misinterpret certain allowances. Now, teams and players did it with the concept of load management. Teams and players that hadn't won championships, that didn't have championship-proven players began sacrificing games and playing time um, and playing time under the auspices of 
staying healthy for the long grind. It then also became a status symbol. Star players willingly took games off because it identified them as being valuable enough to preserve. What was lost, though, was the understanding of how to grind through fatigue, to find ways to win when your legs are dead or the jumper isn't falling or being able to compensate for teammates missing because of legitimate injuries by putting extra work in on a given night. The, the ability of a coach to push his players to ask more of them was taken out of his hands and given to the medical staff. And for what? Are we seeing any fewer star players not going down from injury at the end of the season or the start of the playoffs? It doesn't look, it like, it doesn't look like it to me. I think there's a very real reason for it, but I'll get to that either in a minute or a future podcast. We'll see if I have time to get to it here. Uh, you know what? I'm going to hit it right now. I do believe that the game is more athletic than it's ever been. It's being played faster than it's ever been. It's not as physical, but taking out the physicality has actually sped the game up and had, has made it far more athletic in terms of speed, change of direction, constant up and down. And I believe that no matter how well conditioned you are, that playing the game as athletically as, as it is played today, that bodies are going to break down, particularly star players. Because what we've become is we've become very ball-centric with our stars. It's a very straight-line game. Not that long ago, 10, 15 years ago, you ran plays and you got everybody involved. And it wasn't a matter of the star player breaking somebody down in order to create an opening. You created openings by multiple cuts, by, by teamwork, a little bit of the Princeton offense approach. And the reason it was the Princeton offense by Pete Carrell is because he got a bunch of guys that weren't necessarily great off the ball, break you down, uber athletic, uber quick, uber agile. But he got guys that were smart and knew how to play together and had good fundamentals. And by back cutting and reading each other and moving without the ball, you could create those same openings without having to take somebody off the dribble, without actually having to dribble it more than once or twice. That kind of offense, that kind of approach to the game has largely been lost. Golden State Warriors are one of the few remaining teams that operates that way. And I'd say it's why, why one, it takes very unique players and time to become acclimated to it. But two, why for all the tread that the Warriors have worn off, that they're still able to function. They're still able to get easy buckets with guys who really aren't overwhelmingly athletic. Klay Thompson, not overwhelmingly athletic. Draymond Green, Steph Curry, none of them are freak athletes by NBA standards. And yet, they get open shot, open shot after open shot. Now, I couldn't help but smile at the statements made by the two teams that went to the finals last year, the Bucks and Suns, faced with the sudden absence of key players, Chris Middleton from Milwaukee and Devin Booker from Phoenix. Their stars in particular, and their teams in general, I would argue, 
because of the example set by their stars. Went on the road and showed the toughness forged by fighting through setbacks to be the last two teams standing last year. They drew on that this year when faced with the absence of Middleton and Booker. Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Paul, who know all about grinding and playing despite being less than 100%, came through in impressive fashion. The Bucks demolished the Chicago Bulls in their own building and won the series. Paul took over in the fourth quarter to put away a pesky Pelicans team in that first game without Booker in front of the Pelicans' home crowd. Ultimately, in the closeout game, in games in the sixth game, he was perfect from the field. Both of them and their teams did what championship-caliber teams do. They showed up and answered the bell. They found a way to get the job done. And if you think Chris Paul is doing it on athleticism right now, (laughs) he's not. He's doing it. He's doing it on toughness. He's doing it on wisdom. He's doing it on resilience. He's doing it on the competitive fire that has never been quenched. And it's why I respect the hell out of him. Is he dirty? Yes. Is he not the doe-eyed spokesman for insurance that... He plays on TV or in post-game interviews? Absolutely. I think anybody who's watched long enough knows he's not that guy. But as a fierce competitor, the fact that so much of that is doesn't seem to exist in the league to the same level it used to, I'm glad Chris Paul is here and I hope he stays. Now, the knee-jerk reaction to the regular season being discounted is to shorten the season. That, the thinking goes, will make every game more important. Compel teams to take fewer nights off. Get everybody to play harder. And I'm not convinced that's the answer. I can't help but believe that teams and players are more vulnerable playing 82 games because they don't practice anywhere as much as they once did. Training camps are not the same. In-season practices are not the same. A scout recently told me that his team had 10 practice days scheduled between Christmas and the end of the regular season. That's January, February, March, April. That's four months, 10 practices. That's basically two practices, two and a half practices a month. A month. Now, I know there's a lot of games in there, but there aren't that many games in there. That, to me is what is missing. And do teams get together and do guys work out and are they in the weight room? All of that, yes. But you can't tell me that individual workouts, no matter how intense or well-designed, can substitute a team collectively learning how to play the game more efficiently. Teams spending time honing their collective efficiency. How to score easy buckets. How to defend more efficiently. And the result, consequently is that the star players are asked to do more to pull out victories. Individual players are asked to do more in certain matchups. I've heard it said over and over again by great teams in the past. Their practices were harder than games. Well, if you're not practicing, how can the practices possibly be harder than your games? There's no chance the Brooklyn Nets, the first team to exit the playoffs, were ever on the same page. Because Steve Nash was never given a chance to even present a page for everyone to follow. 
we're sort of shifting from the whole practice issue to the coaching issue. Now, I don't know if Steve can coach. A lot more goes into it than simply knowing the game and implementing a playbook. I know he knows the game. And I know as far as an, an emotional quotient, the ability to communicate, I know he has that. Did that in Dallas. Did that in Phoenix. So I know he's capable of it. It's incredibly difficult. Well, the biggest challenge is getting everyone to buy into whatever you decide to do. It's not how good your playbook is or your plays are. It's how well everyone is willing to execute them if they're all in. It's incredibly difficult, by the way, at the pro level because there are so many competing interests, both on and off the court. And a, and a player, generally a star player, has more value to the franchise than the coach. Push comes to shove. The coach is the one that's leaving, not the star player. Now, a coach backed by his GM and owner, which is what happens in the best organizations, is given the authority to, to tell his players they need to put all of their competing interests aside. He has the authority to say, this is what we're going to run. And he has the authority to play the guys who are willing to run it. But even in that, with that, in this day and age, he has to appeal to his players to follow his lead. He can't just demand it. He has to convince them. And today, more than ever, sometimes we don't, he doesn't even get the opportunity to do that. Steve Nash, by all indications, never got a chance to do that. Because players, particularly star players, have too much power. And some of them abuse it. It's not new to the NBA, but it's more prevalent than ever. Now, if you had any doubt that Kyrie Irving was not all in on, on Nash as the head coach, ever. Well, let's start with what he said when Nash was first hired. He said, I don't really see us having a head coach. We don't need someone coming in and installing his coaching philosophy and running on the first day of practice. Now, let's go to his comments two years later in case we thought maybe something had changed. Maybe he had learned the value of having a head coach or having someone who's presenting the page that everybody gets on. After the Nets were summarily dispatched by the Boston Celtics in the minimum four games of their first round series, Kyrie informed us that he and KD would get together with Joe, as in Joe Sy, the owner, and Sean, as in Sean Marks, the GM. And they, the foursome, would figure out which players to add to the roster. He notably did not mention Nash, other than insinuating in other comments that his substitution patterns were part of the problem. He blamed their first round drumming on the lineups and never getting comfortable with the guys who he was out there with, who he and KD were out there with. He also blamed... The media noise surrounding the team as a factor. How it creeped into the locker room. He even had the audacity to say that he didn't participate in all that. As if he didn't post cryptic comments that begged for explanation from the fans and media. Anyone who has worked in the NBA. I'm not even going to go into the, the sideshow created by his, his vaccination issues. Or... 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Doing a post-game press conference and not being able to answer questions because he was too distracted by the social ills of the world. All of that brings more media attention, not less. He should certainly know that by now. And anyone who's worked in the NBA, and I don't mean media, I mean coaches, executives, players, will tell you that the X's and O's are secondary to getting everyone to embrace the game plan and their part in it. Kyrie told us directly from the start that he saw no need for that, which tells me, tells us, that Kyrie has no idea how a team even attempts to be a champion. He didn't even know what Nash had in mind when he made that first comment. It was on a podcast with KD before training camp started. He already had made up his mind that he was not willing to accept whatever Nash asked them to do collectively. It's breathtaking arrogance for someone who has failed so spectacularly to take advantage of his incredible skills. I will never deny that Kyrie Irving is supremely skilled. But what has it got him when you're that good, when you have that ability, and you have one ring, and you're on your third team, and you just got swept out of the playoffs when you're in your prime, it makes me wonder. It suggests more than ever that the one championship he won with the Cleveland Cavaliers was achieved because he, he played his game and LeBron and the rest of the team made it work. And LeBron was so good at the time that he could make it work. It also, you know, helps that... Uh, their opponent, the Golden State Warriors, were massively compromised by injury and Draymond Green's suspension that they suddenly found themselves, the Warriors that is, midway through the series playing against a shadow or being a shadow of a team that had mauled the league that season. Now, I never really, look, I knew it, I knew it existed. I never took it as, as a reason to take away the championship from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because the Warriors benefited from one as well, with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving being injured a year earlier. So, fair trade. But, no doubt, the Cavaliers coming back from 3-1. The difference was that the Warriors along the way lost Andrew Bogut. And Steph Curry was playing on a sprained knee. And Andre Iguodala had a bad hamstring. And Draymond Green, of course, was suspended for a game after swinging LeBron LeBron's crotch when he did him the indignity of stepping over him, a la Allen Iverson and Tyron Lue in the Lakers 76ers finals many years earlier. So, I can't help, while I would always say that Kyrie Irving was part of a championship equation, the idea that he learned, and I generally believe this with players and teams, organizations, coaches, is that when you win a championship, you learn what it takes to win a championship. 
But Kyrie is not giving me any indication of that. He's not giving me an indication that he's a student of the game. Because if he were, he would know that Michael Jordan, for all his greatness, did not become a champion until he bought into Phil Jackson in the triangle. Now, how many championships had Phil Jackson won at that point? None. How unique was the triangle? Very. Same with Shaq and Kobe. Same with Akeem Olajuwon and Rudy Tomjanovic. Where Rudy Tomjanovic had to convince Akeem, you need to trust your teammates. Same with Tim Duncan, who used to joke that he wasn't going to make any more friends on the Spurs because they all got traded away. It wasn't Duncan that was Duncan was too selfish, but he had to understand that I have to trust my GM, I have to trust my coach, that they're going to build a team around me. I'm going to allow them to do their jobs, and I'm not going to pretend I can do them better or that they need my help. Now, KD, even KD, was asked to play different when he came to the Golden State Warriors than he did in OKC. Did he want to? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. But he was desperate to win a championship, so he was willing to give it a shot. And it worked. I was told at one point Giannis Antetokounmpo wasn't all that enamored with Mike Budenholzer. That was pre-championship. Could take or leave him being let go. Wasn't going to force it but wasn't going to stand in the way. But Giannis clearly followed the game plan that year anyway. And he clearly has allowed himself to be coached over the years because he has evolved as a player. I would ask you, when you look at Kyrie Irving, has he evolved? Do you look at something he's doing now that he couldn't do two years ago, three years ago, five years ago? In the case of Giannis, Jason Kidd introduced him to being a point forward and he embraced it. He needed to be able to score and pass out of the mid-range, and now he's clearly learned how to do that as well. That only happens through coaching. That only happens when a player allows himself to be coached. Now Giannis is playing center a good part of the time without reservation or complaint. Compare that to Anthony Davis in LA. All of that is what separates great players from championship players. It requires a certain amount of talent and physical ability. There are a dozen guys, I'd say, at any given time in the league that have enough talent to go chase a championship. The ones who separate themselves approach the game the way the last man on the roster does. What do I have to do to get better, to get an edge, to maximize my value? For the 15th guy, it's a matter of staying on the roster holding on to his job. That's his motivation. For the number one guy, it's about rising above all the other great players in the league and being willing to make the sacrifice to do that. And in order to make that sacrifice, it's awfully hard to be the GM and the coach and worried about cultural issues and everything else. Kyrie is one of the league's dozen great players, by the way. I put him in that category. But he's not ascending. The latest is that we now have him putting out social posts about puppets and puppet masters and media companies making bank off of degrading black and African and indigenous community heroes. All of this, I assume, is based or the result of the criticism that Kyrie has received as a result of the Brooklyn Nets being swept out of the playoffs. What's uh, ironic? Kyrie is utilizing a social media platform to make this to protest. He plays in a league 
that is has broadcast partners that are those very media companies his pockets are filled with the loot paid by those media companies and somehow Kyrie wants us to think he's above it all that he sees the lie and refuses to participate in it except that he is participating he wants us to think he's calling out the liars except that he's not because he uses no names neither of the community heroes being disrespected or the media members he's referring to why i can only assume because it's not about correcting a wrong or speaking out for or against anyone it's about Kyrie being perceived as someone who cares who is bold enough to what take action i see no action being taken not when it comes to the supposed puppets or puppet masters or disgraced community heroes his protests are so scattershot and without any premeditation that it completely undermines whatever it is he's trying to impress upon us and i believe that what he's going for i could support but well i say i could i'm never quite sure what it is that he's that he's after and He's doing all this while trying to convince us that his eye is truly on the eye of winning a championship. That he would do anything to win a championship. Except get vaccinated. Or listen to his coach. Or not co-op his GM's authority. Or stay off social media. It seems as if Kyrie wants to get involved in everyone else's job. His GM, his coach, TV network executives. Instead of focusing on his own. And... As I said, I don't know how his game has evolved. I would say that it has devolved. Take his defensive effort. He is in his physical prime, or should be, as an NBA player at 29 years old. And yet his defense is at a career low, at least according to his defensive rating and what I've witnessed. His offense also has not evolved. His overall shooting percentage this season slipped. Now, obviously... Not being able to play every game and sitting out the first part of the season, no doubt impacted some of that. But again, whose fault is it that he couldn't play this season more than he did? As much as anything, Kyrie seems to be critical of a lot of different factions. Boston fans, the media, the powers that be for our global ills. Sometimes I get the sense he's just dissatisfied with mankind in general. Yet, he takes exception to anyone critiquing him and his performance as an NBA player. And he does all this via social media, which is easily the most impersonal and, I'd argue, ineffective way to communicate. I certainly know of no one who is influencing change in anything by what they post. And I'm not counting the influencers who get you to buy different stuff. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, and I don't think that's what Kyrie's after. It strikes me, social media that is, as a virtual cocktail party in one of those big banquet halls. The chatter like a beehive that you can hear from down the hall. And I don't know about you, but I come away from those gatherings exhausted. I enjoy them, but I'll be damned if I've ever come away feeling as if anything was accomplished or settled or agreed upon. I can't help but go back to what Giannis said. About staying off social media because it takes his mind to the wrong place he's all about trying to win championships and prove or find out just how good he can be and social media 
being involved in social media has him thinking about what people are saying about him and maybe induces him to want to prove them wrong. And all of that is energy spent in the wrong place on the wrong things. I also asked a Nigerian friend recently what Giannis must think about Kyrie presenting himself as the voice of the voiceless, as someone persecuted. Giannis, you see, is an immigrant two times over, not by choice the first time, going from Nigeria to Greece. If any of today's top stars could talk first par person about being displaced, it's Giannis. So why doesn't he? Surely it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he knows posting on social media about it, talking about it in post-game press conferences after being asked about what happened in the game, is wasted energy. It's not serving any purpose. Oh, and that Nigerian friend, when I asked what he thought Giannis must think of Kyrie presenting himself as persecuted, he just rolled his eyes. And that said it all. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode... I am going to get into Doc Rivers and Doc Rivers talking about his coaching resume and his history blowing 3-1 leads. He said, I wish someone would tell the whole story. Well, Doc, I am here to deliver what you have asked for. I am going to tell the whole story because I was there and I saw it all happen. I'm not sure it's what you were after, but... I'm going to deliver it. That in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.